That is, a, that is an all-too-reoccurring theme that I'm hearing. Everywhere I go, and it's not, it's not the way it should be. You know, that's one thing for someone in the world to have that mentality. Uh, tried church, didn't like that. But, but when, when I hear believers say those things, I'm like, Lord, something's not right. And what it tells me is these believers don't have a proper comprehension of who they are in Christ. They really don't have a proper comprehension of their salvation. I mean, if we're just here to entertain people, how many of you know it's going to get boring after a while? I mean, it may be entertaining for you today, but you come for a while and that entertainment factor better grow because if it doesn't grow, you're going to reach a point. You know, it's kind of like, you know, Tinseltown. It was, it was the big thing when they first built Tinseltown. Now you know when the movie comes to the IMAX, everybody wants to go to the IMAX. Tinseltown, it's old school, man. I mean, it's better than the Howard, right? But they're moving on to bigger and better things now. Tinseltown, it's going to be a has-been. Nobody wants to go there. We want to go to the new one out by the outlet mall. That's, listen, that's what church has become. That's exactly what church has become. And if we continue to try to entertain people and, and gin people up and get them excited, you might do it for a while, but I'm going to tell you what, it, it, you can't sustain that. And that's why there is no true growth in the church in America. You just got people moving from place to place. Well, I used to go to Tinseltown, but now I go to Cinema 8. You, you can place the name of a church right there. I used to go to the first church, but now I go to the new church. It's all the same thing. It's the same mentality. That is not what the gospel is about. That is not what Jesus Christ is about. If you think that you're coming here to get entertained, all right, let's, we'll just do, do, do away with that because I don't think any of you really have that mentality. You can't sit here and listen to me week in and week out and really believe that because I'm not entertaining. So you've got to know that it's not about entertainment. But if, even if you're coming to say, well, I'm not getting entertained, but I sure want to get blessed. Well, I'm going to tell you what, if you're coming to church to get blessed, you're coming to church for the wrong reason. Your blessing's not in coming to church. There is a blessing when the saints assemble together, when the body comes together. But our purpose for coming here is not to get blessed. It's not how to learn how to be more prosperous or successful or happy or have my best life yet. Sorry. I hadn't read the book, and I'm not throwing stones at it, but I'm telling you what, this is a mentality that people have. It's not about that. What's it about? It's about being equipped. For what? For the work of ministry. See, if you think, I've been around people all week who think that because I'm a pastor, I'm up here and you're down there. Because a lot of them think that, that that's just a mentality. That's drilled into us. We're all called to the work of ministry. We've been talking about spiritual gifts. And before I get totally off on a rabbit trail I'll never be able to get back from, let's go to where, what we're talking about today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now I'm breaking all the rules. I want you all to know that I'm on part 11. That's my part. Jeff Kyle's done two of them. 
So that means we're at about part 13. And everybody knows in the church growth movement, you should never do a series more than six weeks long because people's attention span can't, can't go. See, that's my problem. That's my problem. What that says is you guys are inherently dumb. I mean, really, let's just be honest. That's what it says. That's what we tell our school children today, isn't it? They're not smart enough to take the real test, so we're going to dumb the test down. Now it's not any good. It's not good enough that they pass the test. If we think they'll pass the test in some future year, we're going to go ahead and pass them even though they fail today because we think they might be able to do it later on. See, if church is all about getting blessed and getting entertained, then we're not doing what the Scripture commands us to do. And you're not being equipped to do what the Scripture says you are called to do, and that's the work of ministry. So let's, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's continue on in our talk about spiritual gifts. Now, last week, we went through all the spiritual gifts as listed in, in uh, Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12. We didn't touch on the gifts listed in Ephesians 4, which are those gifts that Christ gave to the church, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. But we went through those gifts, the, the, the nine gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12. We went to the gifts listed in Romans 12. Today, we're going to go on in 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the body of Christ, because this is the whole point of why the Lord has given gifts to the church. He didn't give gifts to me for me so I can have a big ministry. He gave gifts to each one of us, and that is true. Whether you know it or not, right now, if you're in Christ, God has given you spiritual gifts. It doesn't matter whether you know what they are or whether you know whether you have them or not. I'm telling you, if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have been given gifts. You just need to know that's true. But there's a whole lot of, I think, what I would term misinformation about the gifts out there. We want to turn gifts into some subject of psychology, and we, we write these books and do these things, and you know, there's about 10 different tests you can take to find out what your gift is. And I wonder if Paul, the apostle, took that test to find out that he had the gifting of prophet or the gifting of apostle. I don't think he did. Now, I'm not saying, I've, I've, ta- I've, I've taken all the tests, okay? I've taken them all. But I'm just telling you this. See, if, if, if that becomes what we're looking to, what we're depending upon, somebody writing a test or writing a method or a formula for me to discover my gift, then where is the Holy Ghost in all that? Where is the Holy Ghost in all of that? Then along with that book and the identification of what my gift is, is basically a formula for me to walk in that gift and to operate in that gift. And tell me where that is in the Bible. It's not there. Because the working and the operating of the gifts is not dependent upon me. How do I know? Because that's what the scripture says. So we, we kind of have a, we, we're kind of at a crossroads here, a paradox. What are we going to do? Are we going to believe what conventional wisdom and what volumes and volumes of books and information that's been written by well-meaning sources? Are we going to believe what they say or are we going to believe just the simplicity of the scripture? 
Well, Pastor Jeff, that's just too simple. You're just simplifying it too much. Paul says, my fear, O Corinthians, is that someone has taken you away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Maybe we need to get back to the simplicity. Maybe we need to, you know, when I first got saved, the big thing was, you know, you take all your books and records and things and you burn them because they're of the devil. I wonder if we've got things in our Christian libraries written by Christian authors that we ought to just go out there and take out there and burn. Because they're robbing us of the simplicity that's in Christ. You know, the devil doesn't care who wrote what and what they call themselves. If it's taking you away from the simplicity that is in Christ, it's of the devil. That's ter- I'm telling you guys, look at me like I've lost my ever-loving mind. I mean, I'm not saying, listen, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying you can't learn from those things. I'm not saying that, that you know, you can't get some good information from that. But what I am saying is this. We have, as a church, as the supernatural people of God, become way too dependent on pop psychology with a Christian title and methods and formulas trying to find out something that was meant to be revealed to me not by that but by this right here and this which resides in me right here the spirit of God in me he's the one how do I know because that's what the scripture says so The point of God giving spiritual gifts to each member of the body is for the profit or the building up of all the body. That's why we're gifted. So what's the scripture say? But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's why I can say with confidence that if you are in Christ, God has given to each one of you spiritual gifts. Verse 11. He lists all the gifts there from verse 8 all the way through verse 10, 1 Corinthians 12. And we get to verse 11, and it's a very crucial verse. Look at it. But one and the same Spirit works all, say all, all these things, distributing to each one individually as we earn them, as we pray really hard for them as we work really hard for them, as he wills. See, the problem that we run into is this fundamental problem that is the conflict of of natures. You know there is a conflict in nature, right? There's a conflict between the nature of sin and death, and there is a conflict between with the with the divine nature. The nature of sin and death is in conflict with the divine nature. Now, I'll just tell you right now, the divine nature trumps every time. But here's the reality. If I, if I live giving place to that, now I've got this conflict going on because, because I, in my nature of sin and death, in my old carnal mind, in my fleshly way of thinking, who wants to be in control after all? Man does. How do we know that? Well, we saw that with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They basically said, well, we know God, you're God, but we think we know better. So who decided to be in control there? 
When we say, I think we know better, God, who's in control? Well, God's in control, but we have the illusion of thinking that we are in control when we're really not. And so I can live, have you, have you ever known anyone who lived in a world of illusions? Have you ever known anyone who was psychotic or had, you know, borderline personality disorder? I know someone very well. And they'll even tell you. You know, when I'm not right, I live in a world of illusions. That man that's really not there, he looks as real. Is that lamp? Is that, he's real to me. But he's not real. It's an illusion. You might think you're in control, but you're not in control. It is an illusion. But you can sure live in the illusion, and you can order your life and make decisions based on the illusion, right? But praise God for the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God the Father, because God in his grace and mercy, he will not allow us to continue to live in the illusion. He just has a way in his grace and mercy and his loving way of bringing us out of the illusion and bringing us to a place of understanding. You're not in control. I'm in control. I'm the one who decides. <clears throat> what am I doing? I'm clapping. Now, what, what, what is making the clapping sound? My two hands hitting together. But what is making my hands clap? Why are my hands clapping? Did my hands decide to clap? And so, no, my head told my hands to clap. My hands will not clap until my head tells them to clap. Is that the way your body works? That's the way mine works. If your body doesn't work that way, then we need to pray for you because God designed the body to be controlled by the head. Now, here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we just see where Paul teaches him that these, same, these gifts, these things are worked by the Spirit, and they are distributed by the Spirit to each one as the Spirit wills. Then he says in verse 12, For as the body is one, say one, the body is one. We get that. As the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. Many members, but how many bodies? One body, but how many members? No, many. I caught you right there. I heard that one. It's supposed to be many. Many members, but one body. One body, but many members. And the many members make up how many bodies? How many heads does a body have? One. How many heads does a man have? A man has one head. So the body of Christ, how many heads does the body of Christ have? But the church acts like it has a bunch of heads, right? We got a bunch of hands running around wanting to clap and wanting to do this and wanting to do that. But the head, we're, we're not paying attention to the head. But the head's in control. Even when it seems like the head's not... Listen to me real close right here. Even when it seems like the head is not in control, do you know that's just an illusion? Because the head is always in control. The head can never 
be out of control. You know why? Because of who the head is. Because of the very nature and character of who the head is, the head cannot be out of control. Can't be. Yeah, but, but, but look at... No, stop, there's your problem. Stop looking. We were never taught to walk by looks, by sight. We're taught to walk by faith. Faith says the head is in control at all times. It's never out of control. Because I promise you, there's nothing wrong with the body of Christ. There's nothing wrong with the head who is Christ. Christ is perfect in every way. Christ is never out of control of any situation. You might think he is, but if you think that, I promise you it is simply an illusion you're living in. And the Spirit of God wants to bring you back to the truth to set you free from the illusion that somehow things are out of control. No, they're not. They're in perfect control by God the head. And the Spirit of God in you wants to reveal that truth to you so that you can be set free from the illusion that either you're in control or God's out of control because neither one are true. God is in control, and you are not, and neither am I. Promise you that. And so Paul, this is why Paul goes into this whole discourse about the body now. See, this is, this is why it's important to read and study and meditate in the Scripture in the proper context. Because if I don't read and study and meditate the Scripture in the proper context, if I just get in the habit of pulling things out that are convenient for my doctrine or what I want to do or what I want to believe or what I want to teach, then I'm walking on dangerous ground. This is how we get people that are burnt out and who say, I'm done with church. Been there, done that. Don't want to do that anymore. Because they never knew God in the proper context. They only knew God, they only knew of God in the context that, that was not truly revealing to them the true nature and the true character of who God is. So Paul says, hey, it's just like a body. Just like a body has one head is one, that body has many members. And so also is Christ. Verse 13. <clears throat> we come back to where we kind of begin many weeks ago. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. This is the baptism of the Spirit. See, we've reduced the baptism of the Spirit into some external experience that I have. No, honey, the baptism of the Spirit was when the Spirit of God took you out of sin and death and placed you into Christ. You were baptized by the Spirit at that moment. And what were you baptized into? Paul says you were baptized into one body. And that one body has one head. That is the seventh time in all of Scripture that the phrase baptized with, by, or in the Spirit is used. All of them in the New Testament, and they all refer to the same thing. Not some experience I have during a church service, but the reality that I have been born again and placed 
supernaturally. I was not able to do it. I had no way, no means for me to be taken out of sin and death and placed into Christ himself. Now Christ is my life. Now I am a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now I need to grow in the knowledge of that truth and it will set me free from all of the things that are not true, all of the illusions that rob me of his peace, that distract me from his truth, that try to make me believe there is a glory that is not a glory at all, for he is the only glory there is. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink. There it is into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And so Paul is using a very practical picture here to help these Corinthians understand a very important and powerful truth. Now remember earlier when I said, you all have each been given a gift. I would be willing to bet, I won't take a show of hands, I won't take a survey today, but I would be willing to bet that as soon as I finished that statement, if it was not the first, I'll bet it's in the top three things that you thought at that very moment is, I wonder what my gift is. You know why? Because that's just human nature. I wonder how I can find out what my gift is. So Paul says this in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? See, now we need to understand what's taking place in this church. There is great division taking place over the gifts. This is why Paul says, God didn't ever give the gifts to each one of you to be divided. He gave the gifts to each one for the building up of the body. You guys are using the gifts to tear apart the body. He said, you know, if you're a foot, can you say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body? If I'm a Jew and I look at a Greek and I say, well, you know, you're not of the body because you're still a Greek. You need to get circumcised and keep the law. No. I can't be rich and say, well, you know, I'm just a little bit better than you because I'm in a better position socially. So when I come to church, they put a nice cushy chair up here on the platform for me because I'm special. Or they have a nice chair there with a desk and a glass of water for me to sit in because I'm just real special. Because I've given lots of money to the ministry and I want a place of recognition. You don't think that exists? It exists all over the place. But you show me one place where that's in the Bible. I'll show you several that absolutely contradict it and say, do not do that. Why? Because we can't say that because one is this way and one is that way, they're not of the body and this person is. Or I can't say because I don't have this gift, but you have that gift, you're more gifted, you're more special, you're more spiritual. Uh Uh-uh. Paul says, can you say that about your body? I mean, if everybody wanted to be a a foot, what in the heck would happen? I mean, if, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body... 
Is there, is there therefore not a body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? Verse 18, here's where I want to hone in on right here. But now God, but now, now. Listen, that's an important word. When you read your Bible, don't pass over the little words that seem unimportant. Because they're very important. But now, now, when is now? If I said, we're going to the store now, what do I mean? Well, I guess in about 2,000 years, we're going to go to the store. (laughs) No, we're going to go now. Well, you know, someday in the future when we're all in the sweet by and by, then we're all, no, now, right here, right now. Now. But now. Look at this. God has set the members, each one of them, not when they become a Jew, not when they get more wealthy, not when they, uh-uh, now. God has set each one of the members in the body just the way they want to be set. Oh, wait, did I, wait, maybe I misread that. Oh, no, that's what we believe, but, but that's not what it says. God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. You ever had, you can can fill in the blank any way you want to. Have you ever had anyone say to you or intimate to you, you know, if you just had more faith, you'd be able to do that too? Really? Where is that doctrine in the Bible? Because... Here it says that God is the one that determines those things. God is the one. Oh, it's awful quiet in the house of God today. So here's the thing, church. We need to focus on who, not what. Remember that question? I wonder what my gift is. I want to know what my gift is. How come we never say, Man, I want to know the one who's giving out the gifts. I don't really care what gift I get. I just want to know the one who's giving them. How can we never ask that? How can we never in our prayer to ourselves, to the Lord, ask that question? It's always, God, I want to know what my gift is. God, I want to know what my ministry is. Why don't you want to know who the one is that's gifting you? Or who the one is who has called you into ministry? which has nothing to do with a title or a position or a label. I can put bishop on my lapel all day long. I can put apostle before my name. I have the right to do that. I can go right now to my computer, and in just a matter of a few clicks, I could put before my name Dr. Jeff Ripple. I went to a website the other day, and here's what it says. Everybody knows that people respect the title doctor. And if you're in ministry, you should have the title doctor before your name. And you can receive your doctorate free. A lot of people do it. You ever check the references? I had someone send me a resume in something else I'm involved in. has nothing to do with Christ Fellowship. And they were Dr. So-and-so. I said, well, I just want to check the references here. Well, I could become Dr. So-and-so too. 
the very same way they could. Now, I don't know about you, but I spent five years in college with blood, sweat, and tears just trying to get my bachelor's degree at the University of Texas. Spent a whole lot, yeah, hook them horns. Spent a whole lot of money. And there's just something cheap to me about, I'm going to go to the internet and maybe pay $10 and maybe not pay anything and get my DR, period, to put before my name. See, here's what I'm saying, church. You can call yourself anything. You can wear the title. You can wear the name tag. It means absolutely nothing to God. This, it's the Spirit of God. It's not important what. The who is what is important here. It's not as important for us to know what our gift is as it is to know who is giving, who is activating, who is working, and who is distributing his gifts as he wills. Listen, if God wants you to heal somebody, I, I told you the story that night I laid hands on Katana. There was nothing that indicated the gift of healing was going to come upon. If you'd asked me five seconds before God said, lay hands on that brother's feet. If someone walked up to me and says, uh, do you have the gift of healing? I said, no, I don't. And I'd have said it in all sincerity, fully believing, no, I don't. And when I laid hands on him, nothing entered my mind that says, ooh, now the gift of healing is coming upon you, Pastor Jeff. No. I just did what the Spirit of God told me to do. And you know what? God did what he did. It didn't have anything to do with me. I fully believe that Gatana would have got healed that night whether I laid hands on him or not. Because it was his time. But now here's the thing. Now I'll blow your mind with this one. Because I believe this too. I don't believe there was a way for me not to lay hands on Gatana that night. See, I didn't take his shoes off, which is fine. God told me to, but I didn't do it. But the bottom line is the brother was healed. The bottom line is a divine connection was made. A divine appointment was kept. And I didn't keep the appointment because I was all that. I kept the appointment because God, in his grace, made sure I kept it. This is what Paul means when he says to each one of you has been given, Romans 12, 3, a measure of faith. If the gift of prophecy, then prophesy how? In proportion to your faith. What, the faith that I've built up in myself through praying and fasting and Bible study and, and, and beating my body? Uh-uh. It's the faith that God has given me. It's his measure of faith that he gave me by grace. So I was not, I, I tell you what, I don't believe there was a way for me not to lay hands on that brother that night because it was appointed by God for it to happen. I just believe that. There was no thought process that went through my mind. I just did. I just did it. And I look back now and I realize I did it because that's what, that's what God ordained to be done. You know what that does for me? That brings great rest to me. It does. Listen, I lived long enough in my life trying to be in control. I, I'm just perfectly content now to let God be in control. When I watched my mom there, if I could have sent her to heaven sooner, I'd have done it. If I could have healed her, I would have done it. 
But the point is, I sat there and I rested in the Lord and I said, you know what, God, she's not mine, she's yours. She's going to be here to the very hundredth of a second. I mean, I mean, she is not going to leave one hundredth, one millionth of a second before you say it's time for her to go. We say, well, you know, the, the Lord's working something out in them. Oh, maybe he is. Maybe he's working something out in me too. I think he's working something out in all of us, in every situation. Do you have the faith to believe that? Do you have the faith in God to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm not in control anymore. I don't really care, God, what gift I have and what gift I don't have. If you made me a foot, I'll be a foot. I don't even know how to be a foot. God says, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll do it for you. I'll help you out. It's going to be me operating, working through you, enabling you to be the foot, to function as the foot. You'll do it because I'll make you do it. How? In his grace, he will do that. So don't focus on the what, focus on the who. God, the Holy Spirit, is the who. He's the one and same God who determines for us our gifts, our ministries, our activities, the working, the function, even the measure of faith. We do not, I repeat, we do not determine these things. But we are to surrender. We are to yield to this reality and this truth. And we are to yield to these things. Allowing God to work in us and through us to build up his body. To what end? To the end of his glory. For his glory. Everything. Listen, church. This is a very simple statement, but it is so powerful for you to understand that everything, period, I mean everything, is for his glory. Everything. Everything. What you look at with your natural eyes and see them as the most horrendous, horrible thing, I'm telling you what, it's for his glory. Can you think of anything more horrible and more horrendous than the creator God of the universe dying on a cross after his flesh had been ripped from his body, after he had been disfigured to the point that he did not even look human any longer. I mean, come on, can you think of anything, anything in your wildest imagination? There is nothing more horrendous than that. Yet even that, the murder of the creator of heaven and earth, even that was for his glory. How can I say that is not for his glory? No, I'm looking with the wrong eyes. I'm comprehending with the wrong mind. That's me in control. Standing above God, judging every situation. God says, you get down from there. That's not your place. That's my place. How do I know? Because that's in the scripture. That's exactly what God told Job. How dare you, Job? Who are you to question me? Oh, well, don't you know, Job, he had fear. That's why that... Go read your Bible again. God did what he did for his glory. He doesn't have to have a reason. He didn't have to give Job a reason. That's exactly what he told Job. He doesn't have to tell you or me why he's given us or not given us certain gifts. He doesn't have to. And we shouldn't be concerned about that. But we should be concerned about knowing the who. Who is? Who is this one that is giving gifts? Who is this one 
that has brought me into life, that has placed me into Christ? Who is this head that is directing my every step? Why do you think the psalmist says the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord? I'm walking right now because my head is telling this body to walk. My feet, my legs are not in control. My head is in control. Do you have enough faith to believe that if you are in the body of Christ, your head is in control? It takes all the work out of it. It takes all the burnout out of it. It takes all the just stress trying to figure it all out. Why are we so compelled to figure it all out? Can we just rest in Him? Can we just trust in Him? If He wants us to know, He'll tell us. Do you, there, listen, there is nothing wrong with asking God questions. God's not afraid of your questions, and, and you're not going to challenge His position if you ask Him a question. So go ahead and ask away. Just don't get mad at God when He doesn't answer you the way that you want to be answered. Or if He doesn't tell you why. Or he might not even tell you what. Maybe he doesn't know, want you to know what because you haven't got the who yet. Maybe he says, I'm not going to tell you the what until you get the who. You're all concerned about the what and you don't even know who's giving you the gift. And I promise you it's more important to know the who than it is the what. Man, I haven't gotten very far in my message today. So what part do we play? All right, remember, here's, our, here's the context of everything we're talking about here in terms of the gifts in the body of Christ. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. So what's our part? Our part is to surrender to his will. Why did Jesus teach his disciples, and in teaching his disciples, he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know that God didn't utter those words through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could figure out what activity is going on in heaven so that we can make it happen on earth? That's what we think that means. Well, it, it's this way in heaven, so it must be this way on earth. Well, it, it, how do you know what it's like in heaven? Well, because the word tells me, brother. Okay, but the word doesn't tell you. There's a lot the word doesn't tell you. So is, is God just limited to what? is between, you think this is how big God is right here? Oh. We know he's bigger than that because John says, look, even the works of Jesus in his life on the earth, if it was all written down, the world couldn't contain the volumes of things that he did. Boy, you talk about a Reader's Digest condensed version, this is it right here. But you know what? It's enough. It's enough. It reveals enough of God to me to understand this truth, just like in heaven, he is the sovereign Lord of all. He is ruling and reigning over each and everything. Let your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Do you see him that way in your life, in this earth? Or do you see God as some fireman reacting to 911 calls? Oh. Terrorist attack over here. Whew, God's running over here. Well, now I'm going to work all this together for... Oh, wait. Oh, man. There, I can't believe war broke out over here. Well, I'm going to... Do you realize that that is the kind of God that we create in our theologies? Now, you'd never, you'd never say that 
you'd never voice that, but I want you to think really hard about how you view God in the situations and the circumstances and, and just the way you look at life. Just pull away and get a big view of things and ask yourself this hard question and honest, answer yourself honestly, how do I really see God? Is God reacting to everything man is doing? Because that's the way it seems like we portray him too often. Or can I really see God for who he is in heaven? Can I see him the same way on earth? That in spite of everything that's happening, he is Lord in heaven and he is Lord in the earth. He is the sovereign in heaven. He is the sovereign in the earth. All things are submitted to him in heaven. All things are submitted to him in earth. He rules in heaven. He rules in the earth. And whatever longitude or latitude he allows me or the devil or anybody else to have, he allows them to have it under his rulership, under his sovereignty and absolute authority. Period. See, this prayer should cause us, it's a prayer that we would begin to see on earth as it is in heaven. That it's not Rome ruling the empire. It's not a bunch of heathen, pagan Gentiles that are occupying the promised land of God. No, I'm going to tell you what, it's God absolutely in control. Of the biggest picture you want to look at, down to the very smallest, minute detail of your life. See, if you'll grow in the knowledge of that and trust in that God, then you will come to understand what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.14, that He is our peace. He has brought us into the Son. I am no longer the enemy of God. I am no longer conflicted with God. He, He has, by His mighty power, delivered me from my nature of sin and death, and He has brought me into life, the life that's in the Son. He has made me a member, one of many, a member of His body. He is the one head, and I am a member of the one body. I didn't do that. He did that. Now I'm going to function in that body, in the place He places me. I'm going to operate in the gifts that He has given me. He's going to work them. He's going to distribute them. I'm not doing that. He's doing that. And if I trust in my head, if I know who He is, the one who has given me this gift of grace, if I know who he is, then I will trust him and I will function. I'll be a foot all day long. That's what God wants me to be. I'll be an ear all day long if God wants me to be an ear. I'll raise the dead. I'll heal the sick. I'll profit. I'll do whatever. But I'll do it knowing it's not I, but Christ in me. I'm not looking at a situation and saying, you know, about right now would be a really good time for the operation of the gift of miracles to be taking place. Lord, I think now you need to give me the gift of miracles right now. 
and then you'll be glorified. Well, that's like the hand saying to the head. I feel like clapping right now. Can you help me out? It don't happen that way. That's why we get people going around saying, well, you know, you know, brother, uh, they'd have been healed if they'd have just had enough faith. Oh, really? To me, that's not a God in control. That's a man in control. And I'm going to tell you what, I choose to not believe in a theology that puts man above God. I will not believe in that kind of God. Because that is not the kind of God that the Scripture reveals to us. That is man's theology out of man's desire to be in control. To justify something, I don't know what, but it ain't the Scripture. Paul didn't say, well, I'll get to Rome and see you guys as soon as I get enough faith to overcome all these obstacles that are coming my way. No, he says, I'll get to Rome when it's the Lord's will. I haven't come yet because obviously it's not the Lord's will for me to be there. But he knew he was going to get there. He knew God had put the desire in his heart. We surrender to his will. We yield to his will. This is our part, church. We trust in his work. We rest in his peace. We abide in his life. Just like a branch abides in a vine, that branch isn't making the fruit come. The life in the vine's making the fruit come. The branch is the vessel the life flows through. The branch is what God has chosen to use to make the fruit. You're the vessel God has chosen to use. And he'll use you as he pleases. Philippians 12, 2, 12, and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You know what that working out is there? It's this tension. It's this conflict. It's this reality that I must yield. I must surrender. But the whole time I'm yielding, surrendering, resting, abiding in him, I have to understand that it is he who is working in me. When I try to be the one in control, then, then it don't work that way. Paul says, you need to work that out. <laughs> this, this mind, this thing that's contrary to the Spirit of God, the reality of Christ in you, this is the process of sanctification, of me coming into the conformity of Christ. My mind being conformed to His mind. My will being conformed to His will. But don't ever believe. I don't, don't ever believe the illusion that you're in control because you're not. God knows how to work those things out. He knows how to have you work out your salvation so that his will and his work and his purpose is accomplished. We obey his word. He is the word. If we abide in his word, if his words abide in us, Jesus says, you'll be fruitful. You'll be my disciples. Obedience, listen, obedience does not begin with my work. Obedience begins with my faith. If we think we can make anything happen through our works, however spiritual they are, we are not trusting in His sovereignty. We're trusting in our ability. I hope you caught that. To obey His word is to abandon my work and trust in His work and so trust in His word. His word and His work, listen, do not depend on our 
ability to see. How arrogant to think that just because we can't see something happening, God is not working. God is not moving. That is the height of man's arrogance. That is the height of of man's fallen nature that says it's all dependent upon me. If I don't see it, it ain't happening. If I don't know it, it must not be. His word and his work do not depend on our ability to see. That's why the scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. It is God who determines the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how. Those things are not for us, but for God. He distributes as he wills. That means I believe in all things. And his grace, church, listen, his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient in all things. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. It's okay. Your grace is sufficient. I don't have to understand. But I must trust him. Even in the midst of me not understanding. Lord, I just don't see you in this situation. God says it doesn't matter. It's not your place to see me. It's your place to trust me. Don't walk by sight, walk by faith. We are the vessel he has determined to work through. And he is the one and the same God who works all in all. Amen. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Let us yield to his setting, his placing, his gifting. Not fretting over what? but growing in the knowledge of who. And when we do that, church, then all of these other things will fall into place. You'll operate in your gift. You'll function just the way God wants you to function. You'll operate in His power and His ability just as He's ordained you to. Quit focusing on the what and begin to focus on the who. This is exactly what Jesus meant in His Sermon on the Mount. When he says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about these things. Seek ye first the kingdom and its righteousness. Who is the kingdom and who is the righteousness? Christ is. He is the righteousness of God that was given to us, that was revealed to us. He is the king of the kingdom. When we seek that, he said, then all these things shall be added to you. When's the last time you saw a bird reading a book that said, 10 easy steps to building your nest in springtime? How you too can be successful in getting the worm first. No, we don't. They just live and they function the way God created them to. They don't, they're not conscious of themselves in that way. And God is saying, you're way too conscious of yourself. You need to be more conscious of me. You need to grow in the knowledge of who I am. Amen? Praise God. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. I want to know, is there anyone here that's never accepted Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior?